and welcome to another installment of Visionaries, a podcast which demonstrates you don't need a great deal of eyesight in order to be a visionary. I am, as always, your humble co-host and correspondent. My name is John Steinberg, and I am joined in tandem by my immensely talented co-host who goes by the name of... Santino Mayoni, guys, back again for another great episode of Visionaries. John, thanks for kicking us off. And I know you got to pick the quote for this week for Words to Live By. I'm going to read it out. I have it here in my notes. So the quote that you selected this week was actually by Sandra Day O'Connor. So the quote reads as such, do the best you can in every task, no matter how unimportant it may seem at the time. No one learns more about a problem than a person at the bottom. So John, what made you want to select this quote for this week's show? To remind folks that every encounter can be a special encounter, if you will, that every time you meet someone, whether it is the security guard that checks you in to Crypto.com Arena or the person that delivers your Casper mattress, any of these interactions If you put kindness out into the world, kindness will in turn in some way find its way back to you. So it's a two-parter here. Part of it is just that nothing is above your best effort, whether it's the walk to the train station, the drive around the corner, None of it should be thoughtless. So always remember to give whatever you happen to be doing the bulk of your effort. And then secondarily, it kind of gets into the pull ourselves up by the bootstraps um, sort of adage that gets tossed around far too often, definitely in election cycles. But there are things that you learn along the way. No one except for a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of human beings start with that proverbial silver spoon. So you have to work. You have to be crafty enough to figure out how to get yourself to a different station in life, if that's what you're looking for. But never forget where you came from or the lessons that you were able to internalize along the way. How about you, Santino? When you when you hear it, what kind of comes to mind and feelings that it invokes within you? Yeah, so for me, if I'm being honest, the thing that really stuck out to me about this quote was just the fact that when you are at your lowest, it's when it gives you the ability to kind of see things from everyone else's perspective. And I feel like it allows you to be more understanding about what everybody goes through and that everybody does go through different things on a day-to-day basis. And that's very, very important is that when you are at your lowest, you need to be able to just kind of take in the world around you and understand, listen, I have to now be introspective, look inward within myself and really learn about the kind of person that I am as well as being able to look at everybody else around you and really understand how, you know, just, just the way the world works and that everybody is going to go through things. Everybody has triumphs. Everybody has difficulties they have to endure. And I think that's what was most important about this quote and the thing that I took away most from this quote from Sandra Day O'Connor. 
Yeah, and interesting because, as hopefully our audience is aware, this is the first female to have ever been selected for duty uh, with the Supreme Court. So a pioneer, definitely a visionary. We take what such a monumentally great and important woman would have to say, and uh, here she dispenses quite a bit of wisdom. 100%, definitely a great selection for words to live by to kick off this edition of Visionaries. Moving on to the next segment though, Handprints Hall of Fame. I got to select our latest inductee into the Handprints Hall of Fame. And the person that I wanted to induct is Aaron, and forgive me if I mispronounce his last name, Father, Fotheringham. I think that's how you pronounce it, but regardless, I digress. Aaron Fotheringham, the reason that I wanted to select him, obviously we know that I'm a big sports guy. I'm very, very into sports, you know, anything, basketball, football, whatever it may be. The reason I wanted to select Aaron today is because he's an extreme wheelchair athlete who performs tricks adapted from skateboarding and BMX. First off, when I was watching some of the videos of what this kid can do, I just thought it was extremely, extremely entertaining. It's really, really cool to see all the different tricks and the skills that he can do despite being in a wheelchair. Um, in part, again, part of the reason I selected him again was because he's been in a wheelchair full, a, a, a wheelchair user, excuse me, full time since the age of eight. So he's been in this situation and had this, I, I guess, you know, what we want to call it handicap or just situation that he's had to live with since the age of eight years old. And for him to take what a lot of people would perceive as a weakness or as a deterrent of being in a wheelchair He's now taken that and been able to utilize that and apply that to being a wheelchair, again, an extreme wheelchair athlete, very similar to how skateboarders and BMX bike riders do tricks. He's been able to take, again, what we perceived as a weakness, perceived as a deterrent in his life and used it to fit what he wanted to do. So, John, I'm curious your thoughts on the selection that I made and just what you thought about the selection in general. Oh, well, terrific. Uh, candidate for induction into the Handprints Hall of Fame. This is the type of guy that made me feel my age a little bit more than I intended. So when I found out who this gentleman was and my wife and I watched some of his videos on YouTube, I kept having the reaction that I imagine uh, a 65-year-old grandmother would have. We're like, oh, no, really? Oh, oh, he's doing that? Oh, don't get hurt, don't get hurt. And then I realized that um, 36 is significantly different than uh, 35 on the age scale. 36 is my age. But this gentleman, like we like uh, to document with all, everyone that we pick for Handprints Hall of Fame, really is driving the conversation forward, demonstrating what is possible. This type of thing, I mean, as recently as 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I don't know if it would exist in quite this way. But before it can be a craze and a trend, and then hopefully something that has a bit more staying power, it has to be done in the first place. And for the innovation, for his abilities as a visionary, Aaron, yeah, I'm not going to be able to pronounce the last name, totally great, but this gentleman is 
absolutely worthy of inclusion into the illustrious handprints hall of fame i mean we just don't find pioneers quite like this in the uh in the blind community too often yeah and there's something i wanted to point out too i mean he would always watch his brother riding his bmx bike at the skate park and just you know being with his friends at the skate park and one day his brother actually told him that he should try riding his chair in the park down the ramps and all that kind of stuff in the skate park and his father was there, Aaron's father was there with him and he gave him kind of a thumbs up saying, hey, go ahead. And he rode his wheelchair down the skate park, the ramp a few times. He fell down the first few times. But then I think after about like four or five tries, it said in the article, he finally was able to just kind of ride it right through on the fifth or fourth try. And I think that just even emphasizes that, again, the first few times he fell down, he kept doing it. And it the way it, it seems, that moment right there is kind of where his love and his lust for just wanting to do this and wanting to be able to do extreme tricks with his wheelchair, doing that sport. I'm going to call it a sport because honestly watching it, it, it looks like a sport. It's as difficult as other sports are. So I'm definitely going to refer to it as a sport. It's kind of that moment right there when he did that at the skate park with his uh, skate park, excuse me, with his brother. That's kind of where it took off from there. And I think that was just a good note to make as to where it all kind of started for Aaron. And what a journey it has been, and I'm sure will continue to be going forward. So, you know, how did you hear about this guy? Because this is an incredible story, and I'm so glad that uh, our audience is now familiar with it. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with it until I did some research. I was just, again, I always kind of, when I'm looking for Handprints Hall of Fame selections or, you know, people to induct into our Handprints Hall of Fame, I should say, I always try to just do some research and just look up, you know, figures within the disabled community, or I'm looking up just like different athletes that may be playing in adaptive sports, things like that. I always just, I always try to look on the sports side as again, you and the listeners all should know at this point, massive sports guy. I always try to incorporate sports into whatever I'm doing. So a lot of times I will look up different athletes within adaptive sports, you know, Paralympians, stuff like that. And I ended up coming across Aaron. I thought it'd be a cool, again, cool inductee to put into this week's Amperance Hall of Fame. As we go forward, I'm sure you're going to see more stuff like this, more Paralympians, different athletes like that. But I thought Aaron was a very good selection for this week. And the story really stood out to me when I read it. Indeed, it was a great selection, my man. Yeah, thank so you. Now, I appreciate that. Yeah, so... So now let's move on to our next segment, Profiles in Courage, where sometimes we have guests on to discuss their experiences. And then other times, being that there's a generational divide between Santino and I, there are a lot of issues out there in the world that we would like to discuss. And uh, this is going to be one of those episodes because something occurred to me recently uh, that I wanted to discuss during this segment. So Santino, when I was, um, I think I was in third grade, we were having a new student come to the class. And before we were to meet this new student, um, a, well, it was the police officer from the uh, D.A.R.E. program who came beforehand to introduce uh, not even the student yet, just tell us about him before we were going to meet him. And he told us about the student and how he had a condition called hemophilia. And he tried to explain what that was. It's a blood disorder. 
where even the most mild of, you know, uh, a high five, any number of things could set off internal bleeding rather quickly. So we had this police officer come in and tell us about this, try to explain hemophilia and the student that had the condition. And I just want to know what are your, is that sort of thing done anymore? How was disability? Okay. So the story that I just referenced happened in probably 1995 or so. So when I tell you that story, what is it? Does it seem completely out of line from where we are or how were uh, the disabilities of students that you've been classmates, how, how were those introduced and, uh, and dealt with? So I'll say this, I mean, obviously I've grown up in a very different time where not just, you know, the disabled community, but also just like mental illness, like mental health has been a much more prominent thing in the world as, as a whole. Um, and I think the way that we go about it probably is a little bit different than how it was gone about, you know, when you were in high school and even when people older than you were in high school, my parents, you know, talk about the, that generation, but the way that it's gone about now, I think it's not something that really has to be outright said, I think, is now because now that we're so much more aware, I mean, you have things like social media, obviously the internet now where we can, we have access as, you know, I say we referring to kids my age, kids younger than me, you know, a few years older, give or take, you know, whatever, but I think because we have access to the internet, we have access to all this different information, social media, all of these different platforms. We don't really, at least I can, from my personal experience, I've never been in a situation like where a teacher or professor or just, you know, like a, an adult per se would kind of lay out and explain exactly, oh, what this person is, like has, what this person is dealing with, kind of things like that. They won't do that like in front of the class or anything, at least in that setting, in a school setting. But I think that nowadays, I mean, I'm, I'm a part of Ability Media, as you guys all know. I was an intern for them. I'm a permanent member now. And one of the things I can say is that that helped me learn, to, that helped me learn a lot about the disabled community, give me all these experiences, help me, it helped me meet you, you know, create this podcast, do all these different things. But I will say that there are a lot of kids that I know, and it was this was including myself but prior to me joining Ability Media. I will say that there are a lot of kids that don't really truly understand what it is like to live with a disability, what it is like to be a part of the disabled community, what they have to go through, whether it's dealing with blindness, whether it's dealing with being deaf, mute, being in a wheelchair, et cetera, whatever the case may be. There are a lot of people that nowadays that at the same time do not truly understand what that is like. I think we could do a better job of educating However, it's almost like a double-edged sword. However, at the same time, I think we are more educated than we've ever been because of all the access that we have to so much information nowadays, if that all kind of makes sense. Sure. So let me propose an idea, and you tell me if it's something that you could actually see uh, improving the lives of, of some students. Let's say a week before the beginning of school, you don't even need the whole week. Let's say there was like a three-day, we could call it a uh, get-to-know-your-classmates camp that would be at the school. So you show up on one day, and it's a whole team from, well, if it were in Los Angeles, it would be the Davidson uh, Center. If it were in Northern California, it would be the Hatland Center, who come in and 
work through, like, they would have students uh, eat their lunch with a blindfold on, maybe hold a white cane and try to walk 10 steps. Uh, it just really offer them the kind of education um, that doesn't typically find its way into the general yearly curriculum. And then on another day, you would have a group from a deaf organization who would show the students uh, what it's like to be deaf, the accommodations that uh, hard of hearing students would need in order to excel, and uh, really give them a glimpse into that kind of uh, situation. And then maybe the third day, you work with other, uh, if a student has Tourette syndrome, or like I was just talking about hemophilia, where you spend a couple days with students, giving them, to the best of your ability, a foundation so that they're not just kind of picking things up along the way. How would you feel about that? I think that's a phenomenal idea if I'm being honest, because I think it'd be a great hands-on way to really teach them and put them in that other, the other person's shoes of what they have to go through. And I think it's a lot more effective than a teacher or a professor just saying, oh, okay, this is what they go through. This is how they you know, endure life. This is how they go about things on a day-to-day -day basis. If you put somebody, I think the best way for someone to truly understand what somebody else is going through or how somebody else lives is by putting them in their shoes, by having them experience exactly what that what the other person experiences every single day. And by doing that, I think it would really, really achieve what we're trying to achieve, which is more awareness, more understanding, just more knowledge in general of what the disabled community has to go through and what these kind of disabilities entail, what they what blind people have to do to do simple, simple tasks, what deaf people have to do, mute people having to know sign, just different things like that, or just overall being able to understand the ins and outs and the intricacies of the disabled community and what they have to endure. I 100% endorse what you're saying. I think it will be a much, much, much more effective method than just a teacher kind of explaining, oh, this is what this entails. Okay, this is what they have to experience because they won't be able to understand it as much as if they were in their shoes directly. I'd like to believe that something like what I proposed is coming at some juncture down the road, hopefully not too far down the road, because what actually wound up happening, uh, in addition to the student I told you about that suffered from hemophilia, we had a student uh, who had Tourette's uh, syndrome in my, I think it was third grade, like third through fifth grade. And that issue was never properly explained to us by, I mean, really anyone. Um, there was kind of a half-hearted attempt at the very beginning where a teacher told us about the condition. But as this kid had, you know, some outbursts in class and some behavioral issues that seemed like they were directly tied into the Tourette's, mm, people forgot. And he became the butt of jokes that he should not have been the butt of. Shortly, uh, or in short, uh, I think if you had a full-on 
like three day camp, as I'm suggesting, the very beginning of the year before school even starts, where you taught uh, students, okay, this is Tourette's and this is what might happen. And here, let me show you what it might look like and then have, you know, somebody who's highly trained uh, demonstrate what a typical Tourette's episode would look like because it just wasn't fair to this kid who dealt with way more uh, teasing and all of that than, than he should have. People shouldn't have been able to laugh at him in the way that they were, but because Tourette's had not been explained, who could blame, you know, an eight-year-old for laughing at somebody who screams profanity in the middle of a science lesson. It had to be explained better because it wasn't. I'm sure that that student is now dealing with trauma from that. So this, yeah. this, this, sorry, continue. Sorry, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, no, the hundred percent. Cause I, that, that's exactly what I'm saying is that the, the idea you propose is exactly the way to fix that. Because again, you cannot blame a seven or eight year old for laughing when they don't know any better. They don't know the read the reasoning behind why that kid is doing that. It's totally, you know, understandable why the eight year old is going to react that way, especially being that young. And again, not having that kind of life exposure, life experience to different kids that deal with stuff like Tourette's and many and many other, you know, again, disabilities or whatever you, whatever word you want to use. But that's why I am a strong proponent of your of your idea and the. Uh, scenario you propose, whether you want to have, call it a camp or like a three-day teaching seminar, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. That's not really that's what's important about it. The important thing is that you have something along the lines of what you were describing. Absolutely. Just in the way that we are doing a way better job as a society with inclusion, making people feel like they're a part of the conversation, treating as is supposed to be the, uh, I mean, one of the nation's creeds, you're supposed to treat everyone equally. Well, for a number of reasons, some people need that extra education in order to get them there. It's just a fact of life. So why not make that industry standard across the board, across America, where you actually teach children, students, about some of these disabilities, ailments, in a way that they can truly understand so that six months go by and they're not making fun of the kid with threats. Exactly, 100%. I agree, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We'll move on to our next segment though, respect and representation in the media. So for this segment, I got to select the piece of media we'd be looking at for this episode. And I actually chose, it's a movie called Ray, or if you wanna call it a film. It's an American biographical musical drama film centered around the 30 years in the life of rhythm and blues musician, Ray Charles. So before I kind of go into what it is, John, I want to get your thoughts first. Initial reactions to the choice when you first saw me, you know, I obviously we message each other whenever we make our selections for the segments. Your initial reactions when I messaged you that we'd be looking at this film, what did you think of it? Again, your, your analysis, any general thoughts that you had? Sure. Well, I, I thought it would probably come at some point that uh, that we would talk about this one. I mean, Jamie Foxx's performance in the film Ray did win him an Academy Award for Best Actor, won him a Golden Globe for Best Actor, probably a number of other awards that uh, don't have that sort of name recognition as the other 
uh, Carrie Washington playing his wife. She's a big part of it. Uh, Taylor Hackford, the director, one of my favorites. He directed one of the best bad movies of all time, The Devil's Advocate, a couple years prior. Uh, and this one was a box office smash and really seemed to resonate with people, I mean, who can forget that following the success of this movie, Jamie Foxx went on to provide his Ray Charles singing voice to a song with Kanye West and then to one with Ludacris. So I did think because of how massive of a figure in the blind community Ray Charles happens to be that ultimately we'd be talking about the film. What did you, uh, what were you, what was your take on, on the movie? I, th I thought it was very well done. Again, like you said, Jamie Foxx delivered a phenomenal performance. And I think that this movie was just a very good homage to the memory of Ray Charles and just alluding to everything that he accomplished throughout his illustrious career, the impact that he had on the music industry in general, the genre, uh, you know, the genres that he was a part of, how much he impacted those in general. Um, and again, I just think that the movie was very, very well done. It was made in 2004. And for the time, I think it was very well done again. So overall, I was very moved by the movie. I was glad that we finally got to pick it again. As I always do, I kind of just go through different films, TV shows, pieces of media that I think would be good to look at. And like you had said, if I hadn't selected it this week, you probably would have come across it at some point and we would have been discussing it in a later episode, you know, throughout the entirety of this podcast. But I thought it was a good selection for this week. And again, very moved by the film. I thought it was very well done. Jamie Foxx, phenomenal performance. If you had any other thoughts to give overall, I really enjoyed it. I mean, interesting in that we've now looked, this is our second film where you've got a big Hollywood star who portrays a blind protagonist and uh, they win an Oscar for it. This was also the case, of course, with Al Pacino and his turn in Scent of a Woman. So interesting that folks like Dustin Hoffman winning the Best uh, Actor Award for Rain Man. Uh, that there's a an extended joke about this kind of theme in the movie Tropic Thunder, where in order to obtain Academy Award recognition and um, stellar reviews sometimes actors will play disabled characters because they know that it's catnip to many oscar voters but in this one uh the performance is really quite masterful uh, i know that mr fox was given a braille copy of the script to work with uh, i do believe that he learned blind prior to the uh, filming of ray in terms of biopics, you could do significantly worse. Fox is tremendously charismatic. Uh, Kerry Washington delivers a great supporting role. It's a really good movie. It's a really good movie. And um, I want to nitpick it and say this and that. But by and large, if we were showing, let's say, a fictional quote-unquote Hollywood movie, to young folks that didn't understand what blindness meant, this wouldn't be a, uh, a terrible place to start. In terms of how it represented blindness though, I'm curious if you want to elaborate just on how it represented Ray Charles and how it represented the blind community. What did you think about that? Did it do, uh, uh, did, it, did it do justice? Did it do a good service in, in, in that respect? 
I think so. I think so because from what I understand, I've, I've thank goodness, I, I've never touched the stuff. I've never even seen it. But the heroin uh, injection stuff, I mean, that looks uh, extremely difficult for a blind person to master with just all the liquids and syringes and all of that. And we get a lot of that. His battles with substance abuse are a big part of the movie. And um, interesting how they depicted him being blind, but being such an addict that didn't matter how difficult it was or how challenging it was without seeing to actually go through the steps of doing those kinds of drugs. Very impressive uh, and just very interesting uh, from the performance that we get from Mr. Jamie Foxx. Yeah, a phenomenal performance indeed. We'll move on to the final segment, if that's all right with you. Connecting the dots, John, as always, you get to tell us about an experience from your life, a story that you want to share with myself and the listeners for the very first time. What are you going to be talking about today, man? So I've had this uh, side project for the last mm, two and a half to three years, and it's not something that I – maybe monthly. If I – execute upon it monthly, then, then I feel good about it. I'm trying to go to every single movie theater in Los Angeles County. I feel like we are on the precipice of that industry completely changing. There being far fewer movie theaters and uh, just completely transitioning into the uh, watching things at home revolution and theaters sort of going by the wayside. So I thought, what better place to catalog that, write about, like, I want to write about what happens to movie theaters at some juncture down the road. So I wanted to go to every movie theater in Los Angeles County. So typically when my wife is having like a day with her sisters or, you know, she's meeting up with friends, something like that, that'll be the moment when I decide to go to a new movie theater. However, there was an occasion, actually it's happened a couple of times, when Lisa and I go to the movies, and it'll be an AMC, a Regal, I don't want to single anyone out specifically. But on multiple occasions, what happens uh, when you are a visually impaired moviegoer is you walk in and you find your way to kind of the concession area or the, um, the ticket-taking portion of uh, the auditorium and you ask for this device it's called audio description it's a little pair of headphones that they give you with a volume controller and someone has recorded basically narration on all the things that are transpiring on screen that you won't see with your own eyes so it's extremely helpful to keep up with everything that is occurring on screen so on multiple occasions, when Lisa and I have gone to ask for the audio description device, the person will say, okay, and then they'll walk away. And Lisa will turn to me and go, oh my God, they just gave me the most depressing look. I'm like, what do you mean? They just looked at me like, why? What, why are you guys doing this? Why bother? Seriously? You need me to go and get the audio description? What do you, why are you taking a blind man to the movies, basically? 
it's happened multiple times. I know that she doesn't like going to the movies with me as much, which is why I wound up having to do most of them solo. Uh, because I don't really care um, what that person has to say or the look on their face as long as they do provide that audio description. But for multiple people that work at the movies uh, to make my wife feel like she's a dodo or like she's wasting her money for trying to take her blind husband to the movie theater, it's kind of terrible. It's sort of the worst part of society come to life. And uh, moreover, it's it's unprofessional um so that now yeah uh, she really doesn't love going to the movies with me because of this however when i go in on my own i do my very best to be as courteous well i'm always courteous to to folks but if i get that type of uh reaction and i can just hear it in a person's voice like oh wait wow like blind person in the movie is like why are they here to just take it upon myself to go yeah man no no, no. this is something that uh, i love doing and i'm trying to go to every movie theater in los angeles county and i've been to 95 of them and then they kind of come around and it's like oh okay well it's part of a mission and you can't change everyone's mind in an afternoon. But if you put good things out into the world and you take it upon yourself to kind of explain that, listen, hey, this device, I don't feel like I'm missing anything when I have this device. If you just go on an interpersonal level with each person you meet, leaving the best impression possible and educating another person on a subject, well, then that's all you can do. So I guess the takeaway here is don't let it get you down. People are not educated on these topics in the way in which, uh, in, in which I believe we would all like for them to be educated. So do your best. Be the best version of yourself to educate others and just help out in any way you can and this is a very small way and a very small window into kind of one such story but you know like it happened yesterday so rather than get upset i just told the guy hey listen i've been trying to go to a hundred movie theaters in los angeles county all different ones all the time because i'm trying to do this project before i feel like movie theaters collapse and then he's like oh man that's so cool really that's so interesting yeah yeah then he got it. So sometimes it does take uh, a little bit of extra work that mm, you would feel like, come on, is this necessary? Shouldn't this person just be on the level to begin with? But uh, you know what? No, not always. So do your part. 100%. And I think that's very important is that you cannot expect everybody to just fully understand why you're doing things or just fully get it right off right out of the gate. You know what I mean? And that, and that really, this story really shows that is that you need to be okay with sometimes having to just, you know, give a little bit of explanation to give some context background, say, Hey man, listen, like I'm doing this thing. I'm trying to go to all these different theaters, stuff like that. It's important sometimes to have to give context because we cannot expect every single person that we interact with, that we run into, to understand exactly why we're doing something or truly understand the importance of it to us personally. 
it's okay to have to explain things every now and then to people that don't know you or don't fully understand what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Be the change that you want to see in the world. Somehow winds up back in yet another show, that uh, immortal quote from one Gandhi. But yeah, do the best that you can, and hopefully some of that good energy will be spread out into the world and the people that are around you. 100%. I totally agree with you. That'll end this episode of Visionaries. I was so excited to be able to do this episode with you, John. I think we had a lot of great topics, great inductee for the Handprints Hall of Fame, a great story to close out the episode. If you're not following us on Instagram already, go follow us at Visionaries underscore podcast. All of our, all of our episodes are up on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can find all, all of our episodes there on Instagram. You can find the link in our bio. You can find all of our episodes through that link as well. Give us a share, like the like our episodes, go rate us on Spotify, do all that good stuff. We appreciate you guys listening so much to another phenomenal episode of Visionaries. We'll see you guys next time. Talk to you soon.